What's going on, everybody? No intro song today because we're coming at you with a little bit of a different episode. Obviously, you know, we put out our deep ball gridiron edition where we recap all of the NFL. And on that podcast, I've mentioned so many times how I'm a homer, my New York Giants and stuff like that. They deserve more love. So from now on, once a week, we're going to give you guys strictly just New York Giants episodes. And to do that, I brought on my guy, Anthony Novello. Uh, You guys have heard Novello before. He's been on a couple of our episodes Big-time Giants fan as well. So, Novello, welcome, and I'm excited to get started. Yeah, what's up, pal? This is going to be awesome. I love the fact that we got two big-time Giants fans just talking about Giants football. Exactly. That That's the big thing. You know what I mean? We're all concise on this. We're sticking it to Giants football, and we can get real into the nitty-gritty and stuff like that. And, I mean, yeah. what a perfect time to start than after that Week 2 game last Thursday. I know this is a little bit after the game now, but you know what I mean? We've had some time to kind of, like, digress and stuff like that because – I mean, you talk about one of like, just, I, I don't know if I've like, I, well, obviously I've never been stabbed in the heart before everybody <laughs> breaking, breaking news, but it felt like it, you know, like it yep. was unbelievable that game in a sense that just like every time it almost seemed like the Giants were like, finally, yes, we got it. We're going to win this game. It's like, oh, something comes right back to you with a right hook. And you're like, oh my goodness, man. Uh, obviously the icing on the cake is when your defensive player jumps off sides on a missed field goal that would have won you the mm-hmm. game. And then Dustin Hopkins knocks down the second one. But it is what it is. We'll obviously dive deeper into this. But, yeah, Navelle, uh any instant thoughts here? Listen, man, I just want to say that history repeats itself. On Thursday Night Football, when we play a division game, it just seems to not go our way. One, one drop, one penalty, one wheel route for a touchdown, one deep wheel route for 60 yards. Something's just going to repeat itself. And, you know, I'm tired of it. But, yeah, let's go on. Let's get into it. All right. Let's get right into it. Uh, my first thing kind of, yeah, is just how, again, it's self-inflicted wounds that always seem to come back and haunt the Giants. And normally you could say it's because of Daniel Jones. And honestly, at the, in this game, you could not blame anything on Daniel Jones at all, if you ask me. He played probably the best game as a pro. So, honestly, we'll go into Daniel Jones's game first, I guess. After week one, I was very nervous with how Jason Garrett was utilizing this offense. It just seemed so archaic, too basic and stuff like that. They're running – a lot of the stuff that Jason Garrett was running at the beginning of his tenure with the Dallas Cowboys, you know what I mean? Like the yep. football has evolved so much since then. So many people are getting spread out and Daniel Jones, an athletic quarterback. You have to start taking advantage of that, especially with Saquon Barkley, like getting eased back into action. It's just, it would, it would just seem so like obvious, like let Daniel Jones start running the ball because it will open up some things for Saquon, maybe takes a defender out of the box. And again, you can still get your running game going then if, you have Daniel Jones because, again, you can't leave a five-man box with Saquon. So you do have to put guys in there. Yep. And Daniel Jones could easily run that read option, which he did so well. And, I mean, what he almost had 100 yards on the ground. I think he was like 90-something on the 95. ground, which is great. That is, that is something that they need to continue to take advantage of. Yep. Uh, a little bit of a damper, I guess you can say, was the fact that he didn't have that touchdown. It gets called back because C.J. Board was on holding. And I guess we'll get into that as our yep. first like self-inflicted wound. I mean – the guy, William Jackson, like, turns into C.J. Board. If you ask me, that's a tough holding the, call. I really didn't think Board could do much about it. This is the thing. Like, as a defender, like, you're taught to try and get off of a block. And when you try to get off of a block and you can't because of a holding, like, that's when it's going to get called. When you when reps see that arm up in the air after a rip, that's when they know you're getting that holding and you're still not off the block. But – you could see, like, the defender, like, does not try to get off the block. He's just getting pushed into the sideline. Like, C.J. Board, like, what a block downfield. Like, as a, as a wide receivers coach, you just have to be excited seeing that when you're watching the film. 
Like ultimately, that should not have been a flag. And I, th- what did we, what did we end that drive with? A field goal? Oh, it was disgusting the amount of points that we left out there on the board. I think that's kind of like our second big overarching theme of this game is that, I mean, Graham Gano kicks five field goals, and yes, that's good, good for Graham Gano. You know what I mean? He's getting some action. Great signing last yep. year, and he's, I think. Knockout. He's over 30 field goals in a row that's made. So now that I said it, I might have put the kibosh on him, but who knows? A lot of a lot of these drives, I'm trying to think, oh, I want to go into the one with we, – we called like a timeout. This was in the second quarter, right? We call a timeout. It's, it's I believe, a third and two or something like that. It's about like on the 35-yard line. So it's mm-hmm. like right around Gano's field – like around his range. Or no, it's even it's even uh, closer. Um, We call a timeout. Out of the timeout – Andrew Thomas takes a false start penalty. And then after that, Daniel Jones gets sacked, and we have to punt the ball. You should not be punting the ball after you just had the ball on about the 32-yard line, and you called a timeout on third and two. Like, that should be, like, I don't know. If you ask me, that's even two – you could argue that's even two-down territory at that point. You run the ball on third down. If you get a yard, you maybe even go for it on fourth and stuff like that. Again, that's just – a missed opportunity there to put either three or seven on the board that ends up ultimately resulting in a punt. And that's early in the game. They were already up in that at that point, you know what I mean? Kind of continue to set the tone. But again, leaving points on the board, it's just something that always comes back to haunt you in the end. Honestly, like, like I gotta, I gotta put that on Jason Garrett and Joe judge. Like what is going on during the timeout? Are you, are you not like getting the play together? Like is the personnel correct? Like that's what you call timeout for. And, like, right there, they just blow the opportunity, then the false start, and then the sack. Like, it's just frustrating when you're in position to score points, and then you end up with none. No doubt about it. I mean, again, it just it comes back to haunt you. At the time, it might be like, oh, whatever, like, it's a disappointing drive. But, I mean, this thing, when this stuff just continues to build up, and it did later in the game, actually, because later in the game, in, like, the third quarter— or maybe it actually might have been early in the fourth. They had back-to-back false start penalties on third down again, oh and it was God. like in a similar part. It was a similar part of the field where you're kind of on the brink of field goal range. The two false starts by again Andrew Thomas and Nate Soldier knocked them out of field goal range. They are very lucky that Daniel Jones scrambled for like 12 yards and Gano hit. I think it was still like almost a 50 yarder because and, again, it's just that's a point where you can turn back and you're just like, how do you not get points? It's just so frustrating. I I believe if I'm not mistaken, that that was right after the Darius Slate drop. E- even if it wasn't, when we're in field goal range, penalties that take us out of field goal range is just mind-boggling. That goes with all – that's just all discipline right there. Know the play clock. Know the know the snap count. You're on offense. It's up to you guys to get into field goal range and to score points. And then when we have penalties that just take us out of – like, it, it's just self-inflicted wounds. That's just what it keeps coming back to. And it's, it's getting – to be too much at this point it is and i mean you mentioned like it normally i mean it's refreshing in a sense for the self-inflicted wounds to not be maybe daniel jones turning the ball over but you know what i mean a wound's a wound all right like, it's gonna hurt it's gonna keep bleeding too and you are 100 percent right it was after the darius slayton drop which again you want to yeah. continue to talk about some on wounds i mean darius slayton if, if somebody tries to argue with me that Darius Slayton, the ball was a little like, yeah, he was very outstretched for it. Please just turn around. Like, come on. You you are in the National Football League. Darius Slayton will even tell you a hundred times out of a hundred, he has to make that catch. There is no doubt about it. Daniel Jones put the ball on the absolute money. That's why we call him Danny Dimes, because when he has a chance to make a play down the field, he's protected. He can, he can throw the ball. You know, he can dish out the rock. But, I mean, Darius Slayton, again, that could have put the Giants up. 
10 points, but instead Stonehand Slayton decides to let a ball go through his hand. He's, he's been a little bit of a surprise, if you ask me. I thought maybe with the offseason, them bringing in some weapons, he was kind of going to get phased out after a disappointing sophomore year. But he's been playing, like, up until that point, he was playing pretty good. I mean, he was the Giants' basically deep threat. He caught a touchdown in the game. Kenny Galladay seems like he's been opening some stuff op- uh, opening some stuff up for him mm-hmm. deep. But, again, when you have a chance like that to go up two possessions and then following that you have those two false start penalties with the field goal, uh, it's just like, like you know what I mean? you you got to put teams away like this. Washington's not a great team. Like, in a sense, they're not a, they're not a top-five team in the NFL. But, again, they are a fringe playoff team. They did make the playoffs last year. That is a team that you have to put away. You cannot let them linger in games or they'll make you pay, and they most definitely did this past week. Yeah, you can you cannot underestimate the Washington football team with the defensive line. They got the four former first round picks. You can't you can't let them stay in a game like that. I guess one other thing, Navelle, kind of before I open it up a little bit too. Uh, one other thing that at least stuck out really bad to me was that two play drive that Washington had. That was just disgusting with the uh, JD McKissick and then. I can't even think who caught the touchdown. Ricky Seals-Jones. Seals-Jones. I, I knew it was a bum tight end who, honestly, <laughs> Dory Jackson just kind of got like, you know, the guy posted up Dory Jackson. It's like, would you want, no, no, no. What do you want Dory Jackson to do? You think you, how would you have wanted Dory Jackson to play that? I think he was just like kind of just out of uh, luck. I think Heineke made a good throw and it sucked that the guy Heineke that Seals-Jones is 6'5". Well, Dory Jackson, like, honestly, was not terrible coverage. He was there just it was just that little arm's length of separation that Ricky Seals Jones was able to get and then he was just able to go up and grab it but the play before that honestly it was a wheel route from JD McKissick I think he was covered by Tay Crowder and it was just like mm-hmm. what like JD McKissick is is essentially a, a slot receiver in the NFL I think I think he's one of the the better pass catching running backs within the NFL and when you put Tay Crowder who by the way is not I'm not bashing Tay Crowder for this it's more about the fact that he was in that situation to run a wheel route. And then Tate Crowder is going to have a hard time keeping up with it. Good play call by Washington. But at the same time, like as a Giants fan, you just, you hate to see Tate Crowder covering JD McKissick on a wheel route that went for, I believe it was 56 yards. Like that set up such a good drive, two plays. But just when we go up, like, I, I believe we kicked a field goal. That's that's what I'm going to take a guess and say because, you know, Graham Gano had five. But I'm going to say that we, we kicked the field goal and we went up in points. And then to have J.D. McKissick just catch that wheel route and then for the Ricky Seals touchdown, you look at the defense and you're like, where was that top five defense from last year? What happened? What's going on there? And that, that's all I'm wondering about that. Yeah, I mean, you bring us right into perfectly our next part about like what we really did not like at all in this game, which there were a bunch of things that we've mentioned. But I mean, again, the overarching theme, if you ask me through the first two weeks of the season, is just what's happened to the defense and stuff like that. Uh, They're giving up over 28 points a game, over 400 yards. Again, defense last year was what kept the Giants in so many games, kept them so competitive. Dalvin Tomlinson leaves on the defensive line, and it's just like it's a dumpster fire there. You know what I mean? Listen, Dalvin was a captain. You could argue he's one of the leaders of that defense. But again, there's a lot of continuity there on that defense. Almost everybody else is the same. You know what I mean? You have Lorenzo Carter and Aziz Ojolari coming in on the edge, but those guys are upgrades, clear upgrades. I know Carter was hurt last year. He wasn't like didn't come in from uh, outside team. But Adoy Jackson, again, another high-paid free agent comes in. And it's just like, what's going on? Like, Patrick Graham, you're in your second year. You like, And you're kind of regressing in a sense, definitely in a sense. Uh, you mentioned it. Yeah, 
like Kay Crowder. Listen, I thought the Giants did not get enough pressure on Washington, which is going to happen. You know what I mean? They don't have enough um, like talent on the edges and stuff like that. But they just sat back in zone coverage. It felt like way too much. And then, but to, to be fair, they'd go into man coverage and then they'd man up Tate Crowder on uh, McKissick. So I guess yep. that's why he was trying to protect them. Uh, same thing with Jabril Peppers. It always seems like Patrick Graham's trying to protect Jabril Peppers in man coverage. And they just play a lot of zone. I don't know. I didn't love it. I thought Heineke, it was obvious every time they sped up his mental clock, he was struggling and stuff like that. So don't let a quarter, a young quarterback like that, sit back in the pocket and kind of like dissect out your defense, make him force him to make quick decisions and force him to throw the ball, uh, like to, to make some risky throws, which is what I don't think the giants did enough. Same thing, even with uh, like Bridgewater week one, but that was, that's kind of more of a whole different story of just not being able yeah. to get off the field on third down. So I think for sure you have to fix this defense. I think that the giants defense has potential to be, of course, in the better hat, like, uh, even like a fringe top 10 defense in the league, just as they were last year. But again, it, it starts this week. Yeah, I want to make a couple points here about the defense. Aziz Ojolari, only person to have a sack during the game against the Washington football team. Blake Martinez had 12 tackles. He played, I thought he played okay. He was a little silent. Didn't really even notice those 12 tackles, to be honest. Uh, Dory Jackson had two pass deflections, which honestly is pretty good for a cornerback in the NFL. And then I want to point out this also. Xavier McKinney went, he had one target and it was incomplete. So he had a 0% completion percentage on him. Blake Martinez, 100% completion percentage on him. Logan Ryan, not something you'd really expect to see. 100% completion percentage on him. But you know what? Adoree Jackson, he had 42.9% completion percentage on him, which honestly is pretty good. But still that touchdown against from um, Ricky Seals Jones definitely uh, definitely hurts pretty bad, and then Bradbury actually went eight for ten. But to point out like some of these guys on the defense, like like I want to see Xavier McKinney on the field more. I and then to point out also the thing before about the man coverage and zone coverage, they eventually after that wheel route to J D McKissick, I believe it was the next drive. Washington tried to run the same play. Jabril Peppers was covering J D McKissick mm-hmm. and actually forced an incompletion. So I. You know what i I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that Patrick Graham is gonna figure out similarly to how he did it last year, but you know it's just hard to deal with these stepping stones in that process. But hopefully we get to that. Yeah, of course. Listen, it's only week going. We're only going into week three, so I think like some of our frustration isn't really warranted. Um, mm-hmm. Even early in the season last year, I remember the Giants got absolutely torched by the San Francisco 49ers in week three and stuff like yeah. that. But their defense ended up turning out fine. You mentioned James Bradbury, too. Obviously, Bradbury did have that huge interception. GX, we kind of made up for like a disappointing day. I thought Bradbury had, I mean, again, he was so good last year. I guess you could say, honestly, one of his worst performances. I thought Terry McLaurin definitely uh, was able to do a lot of what he wanted to do against Bradbury. Uh, create a lot of space against him but yeah again you come back and you get that interception when Washington's up in the game I mean you know you you make up for your day there so there's no no hurt hurt feelings towards James Bradbury at least from my end so uh I guess we'll kind of pivot now uh more into stuff obviously we didn't like we talked about not being able to finish drives uh self-inflicted wounds as well like that but you know what let's be a little positive now we'll kind of talk about what we liked and who we thought kind of was the MVP of this game I thought uh there were a couple guys obviously that had standout performances but I'll at least start with some of the things that I like. Saquon Barkley played 84% of snaps, which I thought was a which was a big uptick from week one. I believe he played just under 50 in week one. So that's something, again, you love to see in a competitive game, too, on a short week. 
Uh, he needs to be out there. I think the long week now from the Thursday to this this upcoming Sunday uh, was a good rest period for him. And I expect him. I don't even think he'll play, honestly, 84 percent of snaps in it against Atlanta this weekend. But again, I just hope his usage and he's just able to get out there and become more comfortable, get used uh, to the knee. Listen, the offensive line did give up four sacks, but even uh, losing Nick Gates mid-game, which we'll get into in a little bit, I really, like from a pass-blocking standpoint, I really didn't think that, I thought the Giants did a pretty good job of keeping Daniel Jones upright. I know Jones obviously was able to move a little bit, which helped them, but I can't really throw the offensive line under the bus in a complete sense here like you could in a lot of other games. Uh, The run blocking is a whole different story. Um, Will Hernandez not, like, kind of, like, prohibiting Saquon from bouncing a run outside. That's a different story. But again, the offensive line for what they had to deal with, especially with a new center and then uh, Bredesen had to come in at left guard in the middle of that game, you know, score one for the good guys in the offensive line. So uh, those those are a couple of things I liked. What about you? Yeah, you know, what? one thing I want to point out, uh, Billy Price, 100 percent of snaps. Not too bad for somebody coming in, you know, first start, played center, replaced uh, Nick Gates because Nick Gates would move to guard. But then he got hurt. You know, I, I find that to be pretty impressive. And Andrew Thomas, Nate Soldier, also playing 100% of the snaps. But, yeah, you definitely pointed out the Saquon Barkley, 84% of snaps. I was really happy to see that. You know what? It's it's really, like, refreshing to be able to see Saquon out there. Although I do not think that he ran like himself. He had 13 attempts for 57 yards. I think – I don't know what it was. I just did not think he was running like himself. He wasn't, like – he was a little hesitant. I think that's the word for it, which honestly, your second football game after basically, you know, destroying your knee, tearing your ACL. You know what? I'm, I'm OK with that, but I do want to see him eventually running like himself. You know, it's starting to hurdle defenders. I did see that breakaway speed, that big breakaway run that he had, and I was excited to see that. And um, one other thing I want to point out is Kenny Galladay, um, eight targets, three receptions. I want to say I want to I'm happy that he was targeted pretty well this game with eight targets, but I did notice some drops, but I know we're pointing out things we like. So I'm pretty happy that he was targeted a little bit more. Yeah, me too. I think that Gaudet towards the end of that Broncos game, they started getting him involved and they have to continue to make him a focal point in the offense. I guess one thing that I didn't like was Kenny Gaudet blowing up on the sideline. It wasn't really towards J- yes. uh, Daniel Jones. They said it was towards Jason Garrett. It seems like that's been resolved. I think a lot of people put a lot, a lot of too much stock in that. Like, what do you expect? I mean, these guys are like a one competitors. You know what I mean? Obviously they're going to be frustrated yeah. when they just didn't like when God is not getting the ball, you know what I mean? So, so I don't really put a lot of stock into that. I think it would have been a lot different if like they blew up in practice or something like that, but in the game on a sideline, I don't know. I, that That's just me personally you know, uh, and how I see that. You see some of the best players in NFL history getting, you know, angry with other teammates. I've, I've seen Peyton Manning absolutely screaming at Jeff Saturday about <laughs> just doing your job, do what you got to do. Like it's just the competitive drive these guys have. You know, you know what? I'm not mad at it. I'm pretty happy to see some emotion finally on that sideline, but yeah, well, you can't really do much about it. People are overhyping it, but I was happy to see it as well. Uh, I guess it moves on kind of to our MVP of this game. I think, like I said, it was pretty obvious. I think he played the best game of his short, uh, pretty short pro career. But I mean, it is going into year three. Daniel Jones would be my MVP right here Absolutely. for about 250 yards, a touchdown in the air. And then obviously the nine for 95 and one rushing touchdown scored the first one of the game. But honestly, should have probably had a second. Uh, yeah, like I said, Daniel Jones, he just seemed a lot more poised in the 
pocket. It's just something, I guess, when he plays Washington, he just has like that, like more sense of confidence against them. You know what I mean? That he knows he can play with these guys. And I wish I saw it in a, in a lot of other games. Maybe it helped that I, like I said, the offensive line maybe gave him, gave him a little bit more time. But it just seemed like in so many other situations, in so many other games, Daniel Jones would have panicked and made a bad play. He either he took a sack or he threw the ball away or he tucked the ball down and gained two, three yards. You know what I mean? Like that's like one of those times where I can confidently say that as a young quarterback, he got better from week one to week two because of some of the stuff that I started to see in that. So again, I think all year it's going to be the question of can Daniel Jones be a franchise quarterback? I think after week one, you're like, oh, it's just the same thing again. You know what I mean? But after week two, you're like, with the way Jason Garrett started changing up the play calling for him, it was like, all right, like maybe we have something here. Listen, I, th- I I love the way Daniel Jones played. I also have him as my MVP, and I have him as a co-offensive MVP because it was hard not to actually give him that. He went 22 for 32 for 249 on a touchdown. I, I, I can't be mad at that. Danny Dimes had a quarterback rating of 102.2, which honestly is solid for a guy who got sacked four times. It's it's unbelievable the numbers he was able to put up when he finally gets some time. And you know what? I I believe in Daniel Jones. I've said it over and over again. I think if he keeps playing the way he does and hopefully gets some more pass protection in there from that offensive line, I think he can really like rip up the league. And you know, I really hope he does. Yeah, as well. I think that Daniel Jones, I don't know if he'll ever be able to completely carry an offense, but I think if you put enough good pieces around him, I think for sure he can be a great quarterback um, mm-hmm. for the Giants in the relative future. Uh, so obviously this kind of re- like this finalizes our recap for week two, which I think we were a little extended on. But you know what I mean? When a game when you lose by one point on a last second field goal, I think it definitely warrants that. But yeah. I mean. You can mention they, they lose the game. The Giants did also lose two starting offensive linemen. Shane Lemieux, I guess we'll start with first. He did not play this past week. Uh, he had like a partially torn patella tendon. And then yeah. this week uh, it was confirmed that he did uh, get the surgery for it to completely repair it. So he's done for the year. Fifth round pick out of Oregon last year who started as a rookie and kind of shoot, uh, like really proved to the Giants that he was like worthy of a starting spot. I know uh, Will Hernandez lost that spot. You know what I mean? So it's good for Lemieux, a rookie, to come in there. And honestly, he was a, he was a pretty good pass-blocking guard, too. And then I think the big loss there is obviously Nick Gates with the fractured leg, which was one of the most gruesome injuries I've seen in sports. It's right up there with, like, Alex Smith. I mean, maybe a step below Kevin Ware because you didn't see bone. Yes. But, I mean, that was – oh, just seeing his leg. Oh, I should not have looked up the replays, all I'll say, with stuff mm-hmm. like that. Joe Judge said he's not even, like – sure about Nick Gates' football future, which is like honestly just so sad because Nick Gates has been one of those grinders with the Giants since like 2019, working his way from the practice squad, finally as a backup lineman. And then 2020 took the center role by like, like just, I just ran with it. You know what I mean? He stepped in and became a captain this year. He probably was our most reliable offensive lineman, even him this week moving to guard. It was just like, again, that just goes to show you how like intelligent of a player he is that he could pick that up real quick and stuff like that and move with no problem. Uh, yeah, this leaves the O-line in a real tough spot, losing two starters really because Lemieux came in as a week one starter. You mentioned Billy Price earlier. He's going to have to step up. They traded B.J. Hill for him. So a former first-rounder who didn't really have a ton of success in Cincinnati. I'd say he was all right this past weekend. I think I'd get, you gave him a little bit more credit if you ask me. But, again, uh, he's really only been in the Giants organization for two weeks. So to come in after that, uh, you know what I mean? He did He did do a good job. It wasn't like he was messing up any snap counts and stuff like that, too. So I will give him that. Uh, ben Bredesen, too, 
a guy who came over from the Ravens right before the season started. He's played a little bit of left guard in week one, and then in week two he ended up replacing Nick Gates. I think there's a lot of pressure on him now to come in uh, because the Giants are really not deep on the offensive line, obviously losing these two guys. Their only backups that really have any game experience are Matt Skura, former Ravens center, and Matt Pert, who they're saying that they might try him inside a guard, which I don't know. I feel like that's a recipe for disaster because I, don't know, I feel like he's more like he's on like the lighter side of an offensive line. I feel like he's like an athletic tackle. Like that just does not project well inside if you ask me, but they know best hopefully. And uh, I mean, uh, Andrew Thomas, Nate soldier and Will Hernandez, those guys have to step up now and help some of these more inexperienced guys. Yeah, no doubt. I'm going to start off here talking about Nick Gates and just like, the impact that he actually has on the team and just the attitude as an offensive lineman that he has, like anytime Daniel Jones is hit or anything, he's the first one there pushing defenders off of him and picking up Daniel Jones. Like to see that as a fan, like to Mm -hmm. understand how much he cares about Daniel Jones and how much he wants to protect him. Like you love to see something like that. And then like, they actually said he's still in the hospital in Virginia, which honestly, I think that's, that's going to negatively impact the team. Not having a guy like that around to like be able to coach up these guys like Ben Bredesen and, you know, those guys you brought up before, like Billy Price, like to have to, to not have Nick Gates there to help those guys out, you know, that, that hurts for sure. But um, yeah, Andrew Thomas, Nate Soldier, Will Hernandez, they have to step it up. They have to be able to take control of this offensive line. And also Shane Lemieux, like, it's, it's tough to see a guy like Shane Lemieux go because he's had like bright, bright points throughout his time with the Giants. Like he's been able to show that he can do multiple things. He can run block. He can pass block. But it's been a little inconsistent. And now to see that he's hurt, that sucks. I wish, you know, he, he could definitely have helped out this offensive line. But, you know, we're going to have those guys come in and we're going to see uh, what they could do. I know you brought up yeah. the idea of possibly signing a veteran offensive lineman from somewhere. I'm not sure who that would be but that's not a terrible idea and i think that's that might be a necessary move at this point yeah for sure i think uh like they went out and they signed a couple guys off the practice squad which i don't completely love i know they, they signed matt skur who i you could throw under the category as a veteran i mean skur was good for the ravens in 2019 even 2020 and then he just like he couldn't snap the ball anymore to lamar like i don't know what happened like he was bouncing snaps throwing him off the floor so yep. really got benched I, like i think skur could be a valuable piece. I'm, I'm the one thing I'm leaning towards is that maybe he's just not comfortable at guard, which is maybe why that it was. And then like price, they just think is a better center than him right now. I'm not sure, but I don't know. I think yeah. Skura, hopefully we, we got to start getting him going in that. Again, this is a guy who played in the league before, at least a vet can give us some veteran presence up front because a lot of these guys are young. Bredesen was a fourth round pick last year, price going into year four, but again, not a guy with a ton of game exposure. And then Matt Pert, of course was a draft pick last year, but yeah. You have to lean on Soldier, have to lean on Will Hernandez and Andrew Thomas. And for an offensive line that was already, uh, a lot of people saying, one of the worst in the NFL, losing your best starter and then another key piece on that line. I mean, you talk about a tough, tough thing. I think it helps that you're playing Atlanta this week, not a crazy pass rushing team by any stretch of the imagination. So hopefully that helps them ease them into action and we just get our confidence up and stuff like that and keep um, Daniel Jones upright. Uh, Staying on the injury front, this week, obviously, with the longer week, we see Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay pop up on the injury report, but I don't really take a lot of stake into that. You know what I mean? These guys, they're veterans, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. They're established stuff, pro bowlers. They don't need to – obviously, they need to practice, but you know what I mean? They take it light. 
not worried about that at all. What was interesting yeah. is Evan Ingram, it looks like, could be potentially close back to a return this week. I know it kind of – it's like crazy. It's almost like, oh, yeah, we have that guy, right? Um, but, yeah, wow. with Kyle Rudolph, I think, playing well over the past two weeks, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate both of them. But for as much frustration as Evan Ingram causes us, um, he is an uber-talented tight end. I mean, yep. the guy is a matchup nightmare. Jason Garrett did show he was a little creative this past week. So maybe he's got some things in the works for Evan Ingram and potentially some of our other playmakers that we haven't been using. But yeah, I would um, hopefully Evan Ingram can get on the field this week because again, that's just another target at Daniel Jones's disposal. Yeah, like Evan Ingram, although he's had, you know, somewhat of a, a tough past with the Giants sometimes, he's also a huge playmaker for us. And he's one of the most pass like when looking at pass catching and you know, passing the ball specifically one of the more talented tight ends in the business. So like, I'm, I'm excited for him to come back. I hope he could really help us, help us out on offense and lead us to uh, improving. But uh, Peo, I know you wanted to bring up some guys like Kadarius Tony and their impact. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Yep. So in that first game against the Broncos, he played five snaps, 8% of snaps. And wait, to cut it's you off real quick, to see that. To yeah, cut you ahead. off real quick, three of those snaps or two of them, were because Darius Slayton got hurt at the end of the game. So, fuck, like, five snaps is honestly a little, like, was generous. Like, they were giving, yeah. they were planning on giving him even less. But continue. Yeah, absolutely. I, You know what? I, As a Giants fan, I need to see the first-round pick. I need to see him doing something on offense. I, I just need to see it. There's, there's nothing about it. And you know what? He had, let's see, I, I believe it was two targets. And two targets, two catches. Negative two yards. And negative two yards. That if I, Jason Garrett needs to find a way to get this guy the ball and find a way to get him in space. Like, do something to create a mismatch or something for Darius Tony to do. But I was yeah, happy like, to see that in Washington, he was able to play 19 snaps, 28% of the snaps. So I, I hope that they keep building on these uh, these increases in you know play time. But I need to see Darius Tony doing something. Go ahead, pal. I 100% agree. Like, Kadarius Tony, look, I'm a big college football guy, so I've watched the guy a ton at Florida. The guy's one of the was one of the explosive, most explosive players in college football. I mean, the guy's quick, get him in space and stuff like that. But he's not he's not a completely guy that, like, you know what I mean, he's going to go out and, look, he'll run you some good routes and stuff like that, of course. I mean, the guy's a first-round pick in the NFL. But, like, his value lies so much of him getting a touch maybe out of the backfield or getting a, getting a bubble screen and stuff like that. So Jason Garrett, like, it's your responsibility to kind of scheme – him open in certain ways that he can like showcase some of these abilities and stuff like that. Giving him an end around when Von Miller's screaming off the edge, maybe isn't the right idea. Look, at least you're giving him the end around and not CJ board. CJ board should nobody on this team should ever take an end around, but Kadarius Tony. Okay. Like that is absurd. If you ask me, you just spent a yeah. first round pick on a guy who's perfect for it. But I don't know. I would love to, for them to try to use Tony a little bit out of the backfield, more of like an H-back role on how he played at Florida and stuff like that. as like a wing, too, sometimes. You know what I mean? Again, just some creative ideas that we could like yeah. throw, him, who knows, throw him a middle screen. You know what I mean? Something like that. Um, Kenny Galladay, too, I think was a guy that we mentioned from week one to week two. His usage got a little better. I think some of Kenny Galladay's value lies in the fact that he is opening up a lot of stuff downfield for other guys like Darius Slayton. Yeah. Again, 
you could take those deep shots with him because teams are so worried about Gallaudet on the other side of the field. I think the biggest winner out of all of this is Sterling Shepard, who continues to show how vastly underrated he is. He's worked the middle of the field so well, even with Evan Ingram out too, that kind of has contributed to some of this increase in volume for Shepard. But I mean, again, the guy is just a pro's pro. He continues to produce and continues to show why he's Daniel Jones' honestly favorite receiver, at least at this point so far. So I hope, like I said, Daniel Daniel Jones can kind of continue to use these weapons. And I hope Jason Garrett, more importantly, can put these weapons in um, the right position to succeed. Absolutely, man. Sterling Shepard, longest tenured giant on the team right now. He was back on that team in 2016 when, you know, they went on that boat and everything. Like, I I do believe in Sterling Shepard. I think he will become our most targeted wide receiver just because of the threats that Kenny Galladay brings, like you said. But um, to move on, I know you wanted to also talk about the uh, the playtime for these safeties. And I want to point mm-hmm. out something kind of interesting right here. Xavier McKinney played 95% of the snaps um, for the Giants defense against the Broncos. And Jabril Peppers only played 45% of those snaps. And then I want to look at week two, where Jabril Peppers played 80% and Xavier McKinney played 55%. So I don't really know what's going on between that that switch of playtime, honestly, I think we honestly have three amazing safeties within the NFL. I think Xavier McKinney is going to prove that he is, you know, one of those really good young safeties in the league. Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan both are awesome safeties that, that we need to keep on the field. But I also want to see all three of them on the field at the same time, to be honest. Like, I, at least from my point of view, I think Xavier McKinney can definitely play that that nickel spot when we're playing some zone coverage, some sort of scheme like that. I want to see all three of those guys on the field at the same time. I thought it was interesting though, that they were able to, that they kind of flip-flopped with the playing time from week one to week two. So I kind of wonder what that, what that's about, but I hope to see all three of them on the field at the same time, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I'm just left scratching my head. Why three of our most talented defensive players can't just all play at once. Like it's not like these guys are, like, you know, I mean, they bring different things to the table. I think that Xavier McKinney's, his snap share went down from 95% week one to 55% in week two. Like, what's going wrong? Like, Xavier McKinney, again, as former second-round pick who has is immensely talented and stuff like that. Um, I know week one they were saying that Peppers didn't get a ton of love because of, like, how the Broncos were kind of exploiting him in man coverage on those tight ends. Fan and oh, the other guy's got a crazy last name on the Broncos. Albert something. I'm not even going to attempt it. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think maybe part of it is that Patrick Graham doesn't want to, like, completely tip his hand and stuff like that. So it almost feels like when Jabril's – like, if they have – like, if they're only playing two of the safeties, right, and you bring in Holmes, you're probably going to go into man coverage because Holmes is so good in man in the slot. And if you're playing all three of the safeties at the same time, it's almost like, all right, these guys got to play zone. So, again, yeah. I think it's kind of falls on Patrick Graham. But, again, we used Jabril in the box a little bit last year with so all three of them could get on the field. I, get, I think we should do a little bit of – that more this year too they got to find something out because again too much talent for all any of these guys to be on the sideline i mean kind of a loser in the whole safety rotation is julian love i mean julian loves a real yeah. good ball player but honestly like he just can't find a way onto his field because of how crowded the secondary is but listen the secondary like i said they've been giving up a ton of points they haven't been great so it's time for somebody to step up and somebody pre- you want more playing time and stuff like that because it's a pretty close timeshare right now. It's like go prove yourself right now that you're playing good. Make football. a difference. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Make go make a big play, and I'm sure Patrick Graham will find um a way to get you on the field. But that's kind of gonna wrap up our like 
personnel discussion and kind of bring us into our preview for week three and stuff like that. So listen, after week one, that loss to the Broncos, I was definitely, I can't lie, I was pretty nervous about the Giants, not from the fact that they lost to the Broncos in a game that I think if you if they wanted to be a playoff team, which is where they want to be, you should win that game. But just how like ugly it looked in a sense that the Giants defense couldn't get off the field on third down and on offense, they just look so basic. But listen, after week two, obviously I feel we're owing two now, you know what I mean? It puts you kind of behind the eight ball in a playoff push, but the NFC East, there's nobody that's two and oh, and you watch that game and you watch how much they competed and how better their offense looked. It almost, you could see that like their playoff, like window, like th- that team, the team looks a lot better than they did after week one. I feel 10 times better about the giants playoff hopes and uh, any other hopes beyond that after watching them in week two, even though they're now 0-2, then after week one. I thought after week one, you could say that that team looked uh, a lot more like the twenty early 2020 Giants. But this year, last week, I think it's like if you can clean up some of these mistakes, I think um, they can improve in a very big way. But not to under, like oversell this game, but an 0-2 Atlanta team, you're also 0-2 coming off a division loss. You have a long week. This is at home. This is almost as must win as you can get if you want to keep your playoff chances alive. And I know that's crazy to say in week three, but it's not about the record would just go down from 0-2 to 0-3. It's just the message that you send. How are you going to respond from a game that you just really should have won that you guys kind of lost for yourselves on a long week? Are you just going to go sit back and mope and come out slow at home against an inferior Falcons team? Or are you really going to put your foot on the gas and go score 24 points in the first half and kind of put this Falcons team away and show everybody why, one, you're a playoff team, and two, why the Atlanta Falcons are one of the worst teams in the NFL? Peo, I don't think you could have said it any, any better. These Atlanta Falcons need to be beat by the Giants this weekend. There's no doubt in my mind. And if you know what, you're right. It's not about whether the fact, it's not about the fact that we could be through 0 and 3 if we lose to the Falcons. It's just the fact that this third game, after what's happened the last two weeks, after basically being dominated by the Broncos and then week two, losing the way we did against Washington, if we were to lose against Atlanta this week, it would crush me as a Giants fan. It would crush me for this season. It would really put me down in the dumps because these Atlanta Falcons are not too good. They're one of, I would say probably they're in that worst five teams within the NFL. And like, if we want to establish ourselves at all, that, that other teams didn't take us seriously, we need to, we need to beat the Falcons down. And there's, there's no question about it. Absolutely. No question about it. Especially when you start looking ahead a little bit to the giant schedule, it starts to get like, it takes up a lot. So you have to take advantage of a game at home against the Falcons. This was definitely, I know, a game that I circled when the schedules came out that it's like, oh, we get the Falcons at home. I was even saying we get the Panthers at home too, which might be good. But I don't know, that Panthers defense is looking very scary and stuff like that. But uh, Atlanta's defense has given up 32 points to the Philadelphia Eagles and 48 points last week to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, probably have been the worst defense in the league last week. Matt Ryan threw two interceptions again. It's that common theme of can we get pressure on Matt Ryan? We can't allow him to really sit back and kind of like dice us up all there. Um, Also, Tampa Bay couldn't run the ball at all last week. I know like they used Cordero Patterson a lot out of the backfield and stuff like that for receiving work. So I think that's a big thing early on in the game. Can the Giants take away Atlanta's run game? And then on the offensive side of the ball, what I want to see is I just want to see a ton of similar stuff to week two with Daniel Jones running the ball, with uh, some of those RPOs that we were doing with Gallaudet on the five-step slant and stuff like that. Let Sterling Shepard work in the middle. And like I said, my biggest thing 
two things I'll go with. One, let's get Kadarius Tony the ball in certain plays that he can really exceed in. And number two, this is going to be my common theme for really the first half of the season. Can the Saquon Barkley look more comfortable and stuff like that? Because in week one, you could say that sometimes he looked hesitant and stuff like that. Some, but there'd be a flash of a good run. Like week two, that 41-yard run, it's like, all right, he looks better. He looks like he's starting to trust himself. That run for like eight yards where he ran into Will Hernandez, it's like, all right, he's starting to trust himself. Can that continue to happen? Because it's almost like a battle between himself every single week. So I hope to see that. And I think, like I said, the Giants go out and they execute their stuff and they kind of limit the mistakes against uh, this Atlanta team. I really don't think they should have a problem this weekend. This this is the week for the Giants offense to figure it out. This is the week where Kadarius Tony finally gets involved. This is the week where Kenny Galladay finally shows us that he's that guy. And then this is also the week where Saquon needs to show us that he can really run the ball. And he can run hard, physical, agile. He could be that elusive back that we know he should be. And, yeah, like you said, this Atlanta defense is, is not good. We need to take advantage of the opportunity to show the rest of the teams in the NFL what kind of offense we could be. Jason Garrett, just honestly, you're right. Call the game like you called the game against Washington. Bring out those plays. Bring out, Get Daniel Jones the ball. Give him time. Get him able to throw those deep passes down the field. And you know what I, I really want to see more of? I want to see Kenny Galladay's reliability needs to increase. I think he had a couple drops. I believe it was four or five drops against Washington. And I need to see that reliability out of Kenny Galladay, especially on those those third downs, those short third downs where we want to go RPOs. I want to be able to see Kenny Galladay put on a show against Atlanta. But so the three things I want to see most most is Kenny Galladay for sure. I need to see him be reliable. Saquon Barkley run the way that we know he can run. And I need to see Jason Garrett get Kadarius Tony the ball. Um, I'm going to go quick score prediction here. Go for it. I'm going to go 31 to 17 Giants win. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go pretty similar to you right here. I'm going to go 27, 14, kind of going off the top of my head. But I think the Giants, like I said, can score a lot of points here. I think Atlanta's offense, I think they'll eventually get going. I think Kyle Pitts can potentially give the Giants a ton of trouble because tight ends have really been the source of a lot of our problems defensively. I know Noah Fan had a big game week one against us and Logan Thomas. So hopefully Patrick Graham again on a week um, where he's like, had a more time to prepare he's able to give them something interesting that Pitts can see in the slot and stuff like that I'm, I'm curious how they're going to defend him really because again Pitts is just like you can't really throw a corner on him again like Darnay Holmes would be too small for him I, I guess it's really McKinney it would probably be tasked with him a lot this week so I'd love to see how that plays out I think if they Jabril Peppers could have potentially be a long could be in for a long afternoon and stuff like that but yeah with the rest of the NFC East at one and one I know they Dallas plays Philadelphia this week, so one of those teams will move to two win. It's essential to stay within the race, stay within a game of the first place leaders. And yeah, I'm just excited for week three. And I'm, I don't want to say scared in a sense because I'm very, I'm so confident in the Giants here bouncing back. But uh, let me tell you something. If the Giants go lay an egg like they did on week three last year against the 49ers, we could be in for some big trouble. But uh, that's going to do it for our first Giants episode and stuff like that. Novello, anything you kind of want to leave off with? All hail the New York Giants. All hail the New York Giants. I mean, you'll probably hear that clip from us a ton of times. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm excited, like I said, for week three. Uh, let's go Giants. One o'clock on Sunday. Be ready. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.